Well, good morning. It is a uh, great day to be here, to be in the house of the Lord, to continue to worship him uh, in song and word. Um, I got to tell you, I'm uh, excited today as we are wrapping up our study through Titus, both this week and next week. And uh, from there, we're going to jump back over to First uh, and Second Timothy and continue our series that we have called Letters from the Pastor. Now, we are actually coming off a week of reading about the gospel and reading about the doctrine of salvation and how Paul, moved, and then what happens next is how Paul will then move us from the doctrine of salvation and the gospel and the good news of the grace itself into what we can call the doctrine of regeneration and how we as believers today are called by grace to good works. Now, to simply define regeneration, if I could for you, I want to define it this way. It's actually the act of being made new. Now, Millard Erickson, in describing regeneration, says it this way. He says, regeneration is the other divine side of conversion. It is completely God's doing. It is God's transformation of individual believers, his giving a new spiritual vitality and direction to their lives when they accept Jesus Christ. It involves something new, a whole reversal of the person's natural tendencies. You see, regeneration itself is new birth for a new life. Now, we actually see the story of regeneration found in the Gospels. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, we see the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, a man who was theologically educated and held in high esteem both by the community and also the Sanhedrin actually has a moment where he, he encounters Jesus. And through his conversation with Jesus Christ, Nicodemus is shocked to hear that he was actually not ready to enter the kingdom of God because he had not been born again. And so what happens in the gospel of John in John chapter three, Jesus himself actually sets the foundational tone for regeneration. You see, the word regeneration itself is actually found twice in the New Testament. Once we see it in Matthew 19, verse 28, again, we see it in our passage today in Titus chapter 3. So for Paul, in speaking to Titus, we learn that Paul was convinced that new birth would be evident in new life that was exploding with good works. And so my hope and prayer for us today is that we would see how the doctrine of regeneration ties to the doctrine of salvation and therefore ultimately leads to good works. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place in Titus 3, if you can and you are able, I would invite you to stand now in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Titus chapter three, Paul in speaking to Titus, a pastor speaking to another young pastor, he says these words. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. 
For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to take the, the next few moments to better understand who you are and what it is that you have called us to. So Father, we pray. We pray that you would remove our distractions, focus our hearts and our minds to your word and your truth. And Father, we pray that we would look to you as we worship you through the study of your word. Father, we thank you again for the opportunities that we have for days like today to gather with like-minded believers to, to spend time together in worship to you. Father, I pray that we would never take that for granted. And so, Lord, in these next few moments, we ask and pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Now, if I could, before we get into this, I wanna set the scene for you. You see, here in Titus chapter three, it becomes clear to us that Paul believed in the evidence of good work and how good works worked themselves out with regeneration. You see, good works in our passage today in Titus three, verse one through eight, this, this book ends the passage with good works, both in verse one and again in the phrasing of verse eight, while the phrase regeneration itself appears in verses five and six and is actually becomes the apex of what is happening all around it. So as we look at this passage together, we're gonna clearly see that Paul is clearly teaching regeneration and good works actually work together within the parameters of the doctrine of salvation. So what we will see Paul do today in verses one through eight is he's actually gonna divide his thoughts on the relationship between regeneration and good works, and he's gonna do so in three separate parts. Now part one we can actually find in verses one through three. Paul here tells us that as believers, we are to be ready for good works. Now bear in mind, Paul, when writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, reminds us that we were actually created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so we need to be clear about this point today. Works do not save. Rather, works flow from those who are saved. 
So coming back to Titus chapter three, Paul opens by calling believers in Crete to live distinctively different lives. In fact, in verse one and two, Paul tells Titus to remind them. In other words, what we have here is a call to remember the things that were previously taught. Now, what Paul is doing is he's actually referencing back to what he has already said in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. So flowing naturally from Titus 2, 11 through 15, where we begin to gain an understanding of grace, which is what Paul just taught on, we are now seeing the application of the gospel to the believer's life within this world. Now, Paul goes from there to say to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. You see, for the believers... We are called to be obedient to our leaders. We are called to be obedient to our governing authorities. Now, Jesus actually spoke of this as well in Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, when he says, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You see, Christians are not called to be anarchists, as some would believe today. Christians are not called to be rebels. Christians do not subvert the government or disobey the government unless it brings us as believers into direct conflict with the commands of God. In fact, we actually see this happen in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when we see the Sanhedrin who took Peter and the apostles and told Peter and the apostles to stop teaching Jesus Christ. And so Peter responds to the Sanhedrin by saying, we must obey God rather than men. You see, as long as we are not being asked to disobey the word of God, then we are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ through obedience in what it is that is asked of us. Now here's the reality. I know that this won't be easy for us. In fact, you need to look no further than the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, a passage that is often quoted and yet more often misunderstood. You see, we know that passage to say, God speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Now, oftentimes people quote that passage and say, see, God has promised you good things. But in order to understand Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, you need to go back and read verses one through 10. You see, there you will find that the Israelites are told to build homes and to plant gardens and to allow their children to marry the other children of the peoples who were there. It's at that point you will then find that the Israelites are no longer in the promised land. In fact, we will find them again in those verses back in bondage and enslaved to another people. So you see, it always won't be easy to follow, but it still is the call for the believers, for the gospel witness to follow those who are called to lead. We see next, coming back to Titus chapter three, that Paul tells Titus to tell the people to be ready for 
every good work. Now, the word every here is actually a command that is comprehensive. So as regenerate believers, we are to be the type of people who are looking to aid others and to assist others and to help others in any and every opportunity. Now, this is not a call to simply assist those who believe in the same things that we believe in. Rather, it is a call to assist all those who are here in our community. You see, for Paul in speaking to Titus, he recognized that whether it's your home, your work, your school, each opportunity is an opportunity to be a witness to the gospel. And so Paul goes on from there and he tells us in verse two, he says, speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. You see, this here is another call that is comprehensive. You see, regenerate believers are to be the type of people who curse no one with our words. Regenerate believers do not stir up strife or ill will or trouble. Rather, believers are to be peaceable, gentle, uncontentious, friendly, and considerate. You see, the regenerate believer exercises reason out of a life of wisdom that refuses to hold a grudge and when in disagreement, gives others the benefit of the doubt with the goal of seeking understanding. It's just as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, as believers in Christ, we are called to seek to live at peace with everyone. Now here's the reality for us today as regenerate believers. You see, we have to be willing to talk through our concerns with people. We have to be willing to work out our problems, to work out our issues. We see this clearly laid out in Matthew 18. But notice nowhere will you see a call to walk out on one another. Paul goes from there and says that we are called to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, clearly what Paul is saying right here is the exact opposite of what we just read about slandering and fighting. Again, we are seeing the call to live at peace with all people. Now, again, for the believers, we see that we are not to act or to respond out of anger. You see, the truth for us today is simple. If we move out of anger without understanding, then we are not acting as regenerate believers. You see, there can be no good works that comes when we act out of anger without understanding. Now, Paul will move from there into verse three. And Paul clearly in verse three, as we move into it, he knew that one way for the regenerate believer to be thankful for who we are now is to remember who we used to be. And so when we get to verse three, Paul draws the contrast between how we cannot act now to how we used to act before we met Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see, for Paul, for the believer, in order to clearly see our need for regeneration, we must deeply know and understand the nature of our own sin. And so what Paul gives us in verse three literally is Sin that snowballs. He starts by saying to us that we were once foolish. In other words, we were senseless and ignorant. We were without spiritual understanding and therefore deceived. 
He then moves from there and tells us that we were disobedient and led astray. In other words, he shows us that our natural bent was to disobey God and seek our own way of doing things as opposed to following the word of God. And so when we become disobedient to God, we then disobey all authority because of our self-centeredness and the fact that we are self-deceived. Paul moves from not only are we foolish and disobedient, but then he shows us that once we get to this point, we are now slaves to various passions and pleasures. In other words, when we were in bondage to our own sin, we found ourselves enslaved to a cruel and never satisfied taskmaster. And that taskmaster was us. You see, when we are in our own sin, apart from God, being disobedient to God, serving our own self-pleasures, then there can be nothing that satisfies us because we can never get enough. Paul then shows us how our former lives snowballed from there and says how we pass our days in malice and envy. You see, because of our sinful desires, we now have a vicious character which desires to bring good to no one. And so what ends up happening to us is we then desire to possess things that were not ours, nor were they things that we already owned. And then from there, Paul shows us that not only do we pass our days in malice and envy, but then he says that we were hated by others and hating one another. You see, apart from Christ, left to our own sin, left to our own vices, enslaved to a horrific and cruel taskmaster that is us, we see that our sin will ultimately snowball further and further until we drive ourselves into total darkness apart from God. You see, Paul reminds us in verse three that we lived a life of hate that gave evidence that we were not disciples of Christ, rather we were disciples of the devil. Now, as bleak as this sounds for us today, remember, this is Paul giving us a picture of who we were and not who we are. You see, the gospel changes everything for the believer. This leads us into part two of Paul's message here today. Paul teaches us in verse four through seven that we were actually regenerated for good works. Now, Paul, after showing us who we once were, now reveals what has been done for us. So if you're one of those people who highlight in your Bible or maybe you underline in your Bible, here's a great passage for you to underline and you can actually add the phrase to it um, because you can literally call this moment a revival in the Bible. In other words, after coming off verse three and showing us how we were dead and doomed and depraved, we come to verse four and the first thing we read is this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, here it is. Paul begins with the beautiful truth that God loves us. 
You see, it was God's goodness. It was God's love. It was God's kindness that now makes an appearance. And so we have to ask ourselves at this point, what is the object of God's goodness? What was the object of God's loving kindness? Well, the answer is simple. It's mankind. It was us. It was wretched sinners who were in need of a savior. That then leads us into what can be called the greatest verse in the Bible on the doctrine of regeneration. You see, we looked at verse five, and Paul teaches us that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul starts by telling us this, this regeneration is not something that we did. You see, salvation is not something that is earned, nor is regeneration something that we can work up to. You see, here's the reality for us today. Even on our best day, we have nothing to give to God in exchange for salvation. Now, if we don't realize that today, then we may not be saved. You see, here's the reality. None of us can earn our way to heaven. None of us can work our way to heaven. You see, it's God through Jesus Christ, by his own mercy, he delivered us from sin and he is the one that rescued us from death. So here, plainly put, is the gospel simplified by Paul. You see, for Paul in his words, he teaches us, by the kindness, love, and mercy of God, God has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, it's regeneration that washes us. It's what makes us clean. And so this actually is actually imagery here in the Bible, and it actually has nothing to do with baptism. Understand this. Baptism does not save us. When we see people step foot in the waters behind us, they are simply showing us as a faithful believer what has already happened in their life by the grace and the goodness of God through the revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I promise you that is not holy water that sits in that tub. It is not water that came from the Jordan. We do not anoint it with oil. It is good, old-fashioned Florida tap water. It's kind of gross if you think about it. I'm going to leave that alone now. You see, baptism up here is just the next step in the baptism that has already taken place here. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who does the washing. It happens here internally. It's not found externally by what we can do. Paul goes from there in the verse six, and he speaks 
of what happens next. He says, through God, whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, when Paul says these words to Titus, he's actually referencing back to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come in Acts chapter two. And so what we are seeing is we are seeing that what God did then for the believers who were gathered in the upper room, he now does for every believer in and through regeneration. You see, his spirit comes to be with us and is in us abundantly. And so we should praise God, not for our own works, rather we should praise God for his work and what he is doing within us and through us. But then notice Paul's not done there. He moves from there to verse seven and says that we are now being justified by his grace. You see, in verses four through seven, Paul is full of good news for us today. So here in this passage, we can see that we have been declared righteous. In other words, by virtue of the imputed righteousness of Christ, we now stand before God just as if we had never sinned and just as if we had always obeyed God perfectly. You see, that is the power of Christ in us. But now again, pay attention. Notice it doesn't say in our text that we were made justified or we earned justification. Rather, it tells us that we are declared justified. In other words, by God's grace, he was moved to save us. And so having saved us, having regenerated us, having renewed us and now justified us, God now comforts us with a word of assurance about our future. And I promise you, it is way better than the promise to the Israelites in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He goes on to say in verse seven, so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, we have not been only given, been given the grace of God. We have not only been washed by the Holy Spirit. We have not only been justified by his grace, but now we are heirs. I mean, think about that. We came with nothing. We offered nothing but our filth, our wretchedness, our total depravity. And yet God, by his grace, justified us and gave us his all. You see, we now have an inheritance coming our way from God. And so as believers in Christ, when we gather, when we move about our days, we should rejoice knowing that we have been regenerated. This moves us into part three of what Paul wanted Titus to know. He tells them in verse eight that we were rewarded for good works. Now notice this, Paul starts verse eight by saying this, this saying is trustworthy. Now this phrase actually appears five times in the pastoral epistles. 
And what it's doing here is it's actually emphasizing the importance of the words that are to follow. Whereas for here, for us today, it's actually pointing us back to what's already been stated in verses four through seven. So what we have here when we get to verse eight is we then can look back and realize and see that what is said in verse four through seven actually act as a creedal statement or a hymn or possibly liturgical material for the believer. So basically what we have in verses four through seven, by the time we get to verse eight, Paul is telling us what has been already said should now be repeated, it should be memorized, and it should be sung by the believers. So when we see these words, we are called to speak them and to live them daily in our personal lives. So for Paul, Paul teaches Titus here that these words should be affirmed constantly as it points us to the reward that we now have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul goes on to further say that we are to then insist upon these things. In other words, here is a word of truth in the previous verses that as a good work should ultimately be taught repeatedly to the generations to come. So it's at this point, as a faith family, we have to ask ourselves, how are we teaching these words to the generations to come? Are we being reminded of who we are in Christ because of Christ? Are we sharing these words faithfully because we recognize that we are regenerate believers who by God's grace have been called to make him known. Not only to make him known to those who don't know him and do not believe, but to also remind younger believers of the call that also has been placed upon their lives as well. You see, Paul then closes by telling the believers to be careful to devote themselves to good works. You see, as people living in new life, because of new birth, we can now see that death has been replaced by life. And so because we are now regenerate believers, we are now to be captivated by the work of the Spirit. And so now we too can overcome evil with our good works all for the glory of God. You see, here is the beautiful reality. Because of our new life, because of being drawn to Christ who changed us, we can now rest in knowing that if Jesus Christ can change this wretched sinner, then he can change anyone else too. You see, there is hope for those we work with. There is hope for our neighbors. There is hope for our friends. There is hope for our family. There is hope for our governing authorities. And yes, there is hope for our leaders. And so you see, we are called to be messengers of hope. 
You see, we have the great reward of Christ and Christ alone. And so my prayer is that we would all share him with all in every opportunity that the Lord gives us. You see, every day is a new day. Every day we open our eyes as regenerate believers and every day we have the opportunity to make him known. You see, we still live in a world that tries to tell us that everyone gets to God in a different way. But that's clearly not the case according to the word of God. There is only one way to the kingdom of God. You see, for those who have been regenerated by the power of God, who have been renewed by the Spirit, who have been justified by grace, who believe in Christ alone, they will be the ones who enter the kingdom of God. You see, that will be us. And as we can see, and as we remember, we were all once in need of regeneration. We all needed to be made new with a new life that is found in Jesus Christ. So as believers, by God's grace, we now have a new life in him. And from that new life that we now have in him, the good works in our lives should testify to the goodness of our God and his love for all people through Christ Jesus. So may our lives be a testimony to who God is and what it is that he has done for us. That is the power of the gospel at work. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have just to, to spend a few moments together talking about your word, talking about your truth. Father, I pray today. Father, help us to remember that we were all once wretched sinners in need of a savior. Help us to remember the goodness and the kindness of your mercy and how you revealed yourself to us. Father, not by anything that we did or anything that we deserved, but you freely gave it. You freely gave our Lord and Savior, King Jesus, to die the death that we deserved. And with that, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the regeneration that's taking place in our lives. Thank you for the hope that we now have 
because of you. And so, Father, we pray that as we move about our days, remind us, O oh Lord, of what you've done for us. Father, help us to see each and every opportunity as an opportunity to make you known, whether it's to, to friends or family members or coworkers or classmates who don't know you, or whether it's to the next generation. Father, help us to look to your truth, to look to your word. And Father, I pray that we would pass your word on to the generations to come. Father, you've placed us here for this time and for this purpose. And so, Father, I pray for our faith family that we would be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope for this dark world to see. And Father, in each and every moment of our lives, may you be glorified and may we make much of you, whether in word or in action, may it point people to the goodness and the loving kindness of our Lord. Father, we praise you. We thank you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.